Welcome, everyone. This is episode two of the podcast series, Road to Resilience. During the next 25 minutes, we're sharing some different steps you can take to become stronger during times of adversity and trauma. You'll hear from Dr. Dennis Charney, the dean of the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, who explains this while taking us further into his own emotional journey. He'll detail the importance of reframing stressful thoughts, a support system, and letting go of anger. I was not going to waste energy on feeling angry. I think if you do that for a prolonged period of time, then you're, you're not moving forward. Learn how we apply these resilience factors to recover after being attacked by a man with a shotgun. 911, police emergency. Send everything you have to Langdale and Chappaqua, New York. There's been gunshot, someone is shot. Chappaqua, New York, Langdale now. That shooting at the popular Lanes Deli prompted these 911 calls just before 7 a.m. on April 29, 2016. 911, police emergency. Hey, this is Lanes Deli. We just had somebody shoot a gun here. We have a customer got shot. We need an ambulance. Are you serious? I'm serious. A surprise even to the dispatcher, since the quiet town of Chappaqua, New York, which is about an hour north of Manhattan, is one of the safest communities in the country. A gunman had just ambushed Dr. Dennis Charney in the restaurant's parking lot after he picked up breakfast. The shooter, named Hang Jun Chow, who's actually one of Dr. Charney's former employees, carefully plotted the attack. Did you instantly realize you were shot? Yes. Uh, once I heard, I put it together, that loud boom, looked at the person who was about 20 feet in front of me, saw that he had a shotgun or a gun. Saw the blood, and I said, as I was running back in, I yelled, I've been shot. So I knew right away. You see this shooter yeah. holding the weapon. Did you realize you were the target at that time? I realized I was a target, but I didn't know why I had been shot. Why would somebody shoot me? Dr. Charney spent five days in the intensive care unit at the Mount Sinai Hospital, his own workplace. I felt severe pain in my right side, my right shoulder. I had been hit with around 15 pellets, and ultimately I lost half of my blood. He now had to cope with physical injuries, symptoms of PTSD, and publicity since his crime made national headlines. First, a deli in an upscale neighborhood in Westchester County, the scene of a violent shooting today. And all this attention added another difficult element to an already traumatic situation. My recovery was very public because I'm the dean here, and everybody found out what happened. Everybody was watching my recovery uh, every day, literally dozens of people saying, how you doing? So Dr. Charney knew to draw upon his own prescription to resilience, 10 simple steps he created from his pioneering research that spanned for decades. This prescription is something everyday people can apply during times of stress, grief, and trauma. And one of the first factors he recognized was his support system, something he says is critical to anyone's recovery. The people that were visiting me were tearful and worried. Uh, the staff and the doctors were terrific in the way, not only that provided me technical care, but emotional care. And I found out that a lot of people um, really liked me. The, the love and uh, admiration that I received spanned from the housekeeper to the, the nurse to the doctors, to my friends that came and visited me, you know, before and after. So it really was a full uh, spectrum. So I, I just felt the love and that motivated me to, to fight and recover and, re you know, rehabilitate. 
people are still saying, how you doing? And I try to tell them, you don't have to keep asking me that anymore. But it reflects their caring. So you can't underestimate the importance of support during your recovery period. Fast forward to a few months later, Dr. Charney still faced mental challenges with reoccurring memories of the shooting, all compounded by the fact that the gunman's highly publicized criminal trial had just begun. Now News 12, a Tuckahoe man accused of trying to kill his former boss outside a deli in Chappaqua, now on trial. In the courtroom, we learned Heng Jun Chow targeted Dr. Charney because he fired this former researcher about seven years prior for manipulating data. It was here when Dr. Charney saw the man who tried to kill him for the first time since the shooting happened. Dr. Charney had to find the mental strength to face Chow and deliver a powerful testimony right in front of him. In these moments, he applied another factor from his prescription to resilience, what he calls reframing stressful thoughts. He used his stress as a means of strength and energy to overcome adversity. Take a listen to Dr. Charney on the stand. Your Honor, I'm here today to ask that you sentence Dr. Hengen Chow to the maximum sentence available under the law of our state. Dr. Chow's attempt to murder me not only caused me to suffer grave physical injury, but has changed my life and the, the life of my family forever. Shortly after exiting Langs, I was deafened by a loud boom and felt a piercing pain in my shoulder. I looked down and saw blood streaming from my shoulder and realized that I had been shot. Imagine the fear my children experienced when they received panic phone calls from my wife with the shocking news that their father had been shot. No one knew if I was going to live or die. Your Honor, there is no doubt that Heng Jung Chow attempted to murder me. And I repeat that, that he attempted to murder me. For me, it is a living, breathing memory. He shot me at close range with a shotgun. He has no insight into his wrongdoing, either with respect to his scientific misconduct or his attempt to murder me. In addition, he is a danger to the community at large. He has shown that he will not stop his attempt at vigilante justice. And I have every reason to believe that he will continue to plot his revenge even while in prison. In summary, Your Honor, given Heng Jun Chao's vengeful, hateful, and violent crime, his lack of remorse, his lack of insight into his behavior, and his irrationality, he presents an ongoing threat and I believe should receive the maximum sentence. Henshin Chow, you have the absolute right to address the court before I sentence you. Go right ahead. I respectfully and sincerely apologize to all the residents of Chapa, the works and the customers of the Langs Valley. I also apologize to Dr. Chani and his family for his unfortunate injury. I also apologize to my wife and my family it is the sentence of the court on count one, attempted murder in the second degree, that you serve a determinate sentence of 23 years in state prison. On count two, criminal use of a firearm in the first degree, a determinate sentence of five years in state prison, effectively a 28-year state prison sentence. This is an order of protection. Don't reach out to Dr. Charney. He doesn't want to hear from you. He wishes he could forget your name. No letters of apology. He doesn't want to hear about you. I don't know if he can forget about you, but he'd like to. 
don't reach out to him. If you violate the order of protection, you could be charged with criminal contempt. You are now remanded to the custody of the Department of Correction to serve this lawful sentence. Step out of this courtroom. What was it like for you to face this man after he tried to take your life? I worked very hard not to feel anger toward the perpetrator. I think I had done a good job internally that I was going to focus on moving forward. You addressed him as a doctor. Why did you say his title? First, you know, he was a, a PhD, a doctor. I felt that was part of the process of not, in my own mind, to not feel anger. That I was just going to be factual. He's a doctor. I was going to address him, you know, that way. I found that that would be helpful to me. Is there something to be learned from this? In my case, I felt I was going to focus on moving forward. I felt confident he was a disturbed person. He was going to suffer the consequences of it. I couldn't undo what happened to me, so I was not going to waste energy on feeling angry. How can holding on to anger affect one's mental state? I think if you do that for a prolonged period of time, then you're you're not moving forward. You're staying in the, in the past, which is not helpful. The trial was some time later, and you had made significant progress in your recovery, both physically and mentally. Did being in that situation bring up additional trauma? Did any sort of trauma resurface as a result? You know, it brought back the memories. I think the main issue was what was the sentence going to be? How long he was going to go away for? So that that was... What was most on, you know, my mind, I think, was on the mind of my family. Is his sentence enough? I think so. You know, he's he got sentenced for 28 years with, with no chance of parole. So he's going to be there a very long time. You're resilient. So you had an appropriate way of dealing with it. But what advice do you have for people who are in this position, who have to come to terms with trauma again during their recovery? Keep looking forward. Yeah, there'll be bumps in the road. There'll be reminders that give you some anxiety, maybe fear. But um, if you keep moving forward, you know, with your life and your aspirations, that you can get past that. Just know that you're a trauma victim, but you can grow from that. Sometimes victims blame themselves for bad things happening to them. Is this something that ever crossed your mind? No. Because I was very confident in my decision and the, about terminating the assailant. It, it does raise questions in a more existential way. Why does bad things happen to good people? What does that mean about faith and spirituality? That happened to some members of my family. And, and what does that all mean? It raises deeper questions about the meaning of life. So that happens in a more profound way. Around the same time of the trial, another local shooting made headlines across the country, and that's something Dr. Charney could not ignore. Today we're on the air to tell you about a shooting, what was reported initially as an active shooter situation at a hospital in the New York City borough of the Bronx. A deadly rampage inside Bronx Lebanon Hospital. A doctor who's an ex-employee opens fire on his former colleagues, killing one of them. A number of people were transferred to Mount Sinai you know, for treatment because their wounds were serious. And, and one was a uh, young doctor who was like in his first year of training after medical school. 
And our staff told me that he was having trouble coping in the beginning. And they thought it might be helpful if I were to go meet him. That's exactly what Dr. Charney did by using his prescription. He stepped up as a support system and role model for this young doctor to help him build resilience and better cope with anxiety. And I walked in and said, I may be the dean, but I'm your brother, that I've gone through something similar. And I think that was very helpful to him. And I told him what the recovery was going to be like. What did you tell him specifically? I said in the beginning that you're going to have to mainly focus on the physical recovery. And that in the beginning, there's going to be a sense of anxiety and uh, you're going to feel very emotional. But eventually, that's going to fade. And this experience, believe it or not, was going to make you a better doctor. Because you treat patients who are suffering. And you're going to be able to recall your suffering and be a better doctor and be more empathetic with your patients. You know, he ultimately gets out of the hospital and he's going to find other people to help him, but I probably played a small role in getting him on the road to recovery. How did that help you? I felt good that I was able to help him. That, there aren't a lot of positive things of being shot by a shotgun, but giving the opportunity to show that your resilience to yourself and others and be a role model to others is something that would not have been possible to the same degree uh, that it is now if I hadn't been shot. Since then, we've heard of other mass shootings. This is now a world of a new normal. So is resilience more important now than ever before? I would put it that you need... You, we talked about how you, an individual makes themselves more resilient, which is possible. But you can also make your local community more resilient. You can make your city more resilient. You can make your country more resilient. There's no question about that. And so when it comes to preventing you know, mass shootings, we have to do something as a community and a country to prevent that. No individual can prevent that. Is there any research on how this can affect people's mental states? We're just learning whether what is the impact of all these shootings, which are seem to be occurring at a more frequent rate. I'm told, but I haven't seen actual data that you know children and young adults are more on guard. Uh, they're more afraid. You know, th their view of the world is affected by all this. That's and that, if that's true, that's very troubling. And so we need to act as a community, as a nation, to reverse the trend quickly. You've done a lot of research on trauma, including how genetics can affect one's response. What is the science behind this? What can people learn about genetics and how it affects trauma? There are many genes that are going to be related and are being identified that are relating to the vulnerability to different psychiatric disorders like bipolar disorder and depression, PTSD, schizophrenia. Turns out it's many different genes. It's not usually a single gene, but multiple genes that come together that increase uh, vulnerability. As we learn more about what these genes do and interact with each other, it gives uh, uh, enables us to have a greater potential of developing new therapies. But I would also say that genes are not destiny, that it's, it's part of, of vulnerability or uh, 
resilience on the other hand. And you can do a lot, you know, with your life. A lot of things we have discussed to make you less vulnerable, even if you have certain genes uh, that predispose you. But the genes are not destiny. How do genetics affect how we process trauma? Yeah, we're just learning about that. Uh, a couple of genes related to neurochemicals in the brain have been identified that suggest that they're related to vulnerability on one hand and resilience on the other, but it was still early in that research. That'll pick up over the next several years. But that could transform the treatment. Hope so. What's the latest research out there for dealing with anxiety, PTSD, trauma? What has changed in the last few years? A lot of work still needs to be done. There's lots of researchers working on uh, developing uh, new therapies, but that's still in progress. A lot of the medicines that are used for post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety are the same medicines that are used for the treatment of depression. So the field needs to develop more precise treatments for post-traumatic stress and different anxiety disorders because they're not exactly the same as depression. So it's still a work in progress. What do you see for the future five years from now, ten years from now? I'm hoping that occurs. The ability to discover new medicines based on genetics and our knowledge of brain function should enhance the discovery of new medicines for depression uh, as well as PTSD and anxiety disorder. So I'm, I'm confident that that will occur with the great science that our scientists are capable of. And you know, more precise therapies I think are possible as we learn about what we call neuroplasticity in the brain. Uh, in other words, you can change the brain not only through medicine, but through therapy and other kinds of tests. We're learning more about the neuroanatomy of the brain with better imaging techniques. So there's a lot of things uh, based on knowledge of the brain and genetics that I think make us poised to discover new treatments. These are breakthroughs Dr. Charney hopes both he and Mount Sinai can be a part of. Meanwhile, he still reflects on his own trauma and finds positive takeaways from the experience. How has your own trauma changed you? You always say that um, you value every day. Uh, after you've been traumatized and theoretically or actually, you know, close to death, you really do value every day. That, you know, that experience is that does put a different perspective on that. And you also come to value your family, you know, even more because you saw how they reacted and were so helpful and loving uh, when you needed that. And in addition, because I've had this experience, it, it makes me, you know, more of a role model for other people. And I've taken, I take that very seriously. So now when I talk about our research regarding resilience, I could say, you know, and I'm, I'm one of the trauma victims. And so then I can serve as a role model. And that, so that motivates me. How can trauma inhibit people. Here you found a positive out of all of this, but maybe not everybody is in that position. If you didn't have what I had around, you know, prior experience, you know, knowledge from my research, role models, you know, support from my family, then it's a lot more difficult to recover. 
And how do you get over that recovery if you don't have that background, you don't have that strength? Then you actively cope, meaning you seek out help. You, You get the therapy that you need. You find role models. There are there are groups of people who have faced trauma, and they come together, and they support each other. How has this made you a better leader? I don't sweat the small things. I look at the big picture. I look at every day as a as a gift. And people you know, say that you should count every day as, uh, as as a way of doing better and cherishing. But when you've almost been killed, that takes on new meaning. So it makes me more effective as a person and as a leader because I look at every day and say, I'm going to accomplish something important today because you never know what tomorrow will bring. How has this helped you in your profession? When I, when I talk about resilience now and how to become a more resilient person, I can speak with more authority because I've gone through it myself. I think I have more credibility. Does this make you a stronger motivator? You know, I think so. You know, I, I gave grand rounds to the Department of Medicine at our VA hospital on resilience. And I talked about my personal experience in addition to what I have learned about studying resilient behavior over the last couple of decades. And now when I combine my speech with my personal experience, it has more power. When I gave even the speech last week, people came up to me and said, this this has relevance to my own life. So in that way, there's been a positive in terms of motivating folks to become more resilient themselves. Do you have a new prescription to resilience after this trauma? Uh, It's pretty much the same. I, I can say that what we came up with works. So uh, if anybody's listening, I encourage you to get our book, Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. This is actually the second edition. And and what we did in the second edition is we updated the science in in terms of what we've learned about how the body reacts and so forth. And we also uh, put in the second edition more stories of people, you know, that showed great resilience. A prescription to resilience Dr. Charney continues to stand by after overcoming one of the most difficult obstacles of his life. And now more than ever, he truly recognizes the power this has when it comes to recovery. First, on the positive side, I learned a lot of things that we had you know, studied about trauma and what it would take to recover you know, were true. Um, and so in a way, I val- it was validated through my own uh, personal experience. Go into specifics about that. What did you validate? You know, one is uh, the sense of optimism. So from the beginning, I was optimistic that I was going to recover. Uh, You know, second, it's important to have role models to emulate as you're in the recovery process. Uh, You know, third was the importance, the incredible importance of support from family and friends. Everybody faces tough things in their life, loss of a loved one. Uh, you know, disappointment in a relationship, disappointment in uh, career aspirations, so that you want to prepare, you know, your children and prepare yourself that these things are going to happen to you. And that's part of resilience training or building resilience in yourself. 
So his message here is that resilience can be learned just by applying these simple factors to your life. You've been listening to our monthly podcast series, Road to Resilience. Make sure to check out Episode 3 coming out on August 29th. We'll focus on how you can build a resilient family and raise resilient children. We feature a unique father and son duo, and they'll tell you how you can make this possible by sharing their own success with this. To listen, just head over to iTunes and subscribe.